You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. I swear to God, man, once the Charlotte Hornets put that tweet out yesterday about Devontae Graham and the comparison to Baby Yoda, I just shook my head. Because then it reminded me of Doug, of course, needing more credit, right? Of course, needing more confidence in his dumb jokes that Devontae Graham looks like Baby Yoda. And then the Charlotte Hornets put out a tweet. Malik hits a game winner. Fans, shot of the year. Devontae, then Baby Yoda. And then Doug Branson retweets it quote tweets it and says it's happening because he already made the comparison and then we go back to last year where Doug said that Miles Bridges was Sky Miles it's a great nickname and then the Hornets use it I think on their Twitter feed the Hornets listen to the podcast I think is what we're finding out but also you know Doug's confidence is at an all-time high he just put out, it's happening. Like, he's he's so used to people stealing his jokes. The team, the team in which he pulls for, the team in which we host a podcast about, they're stealing the jokes. I tried to say that it's probably an insult to compare Devontae Graham to Baby Yoda saying he looks like a green little alien with huge ears. <laughs> it probably is an insult. But now the Hornets, they're doing it. It's ridiculous, man. I swear to God, Doug Branson, only Doug Branson. You could follow him on Twitter at Doug Branson, L-O-H, because apparently it's good stuff that he puts out there. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day, local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. I'm going to be flying solo today. That's why I'm talking crap about Doug Branson. Deserve to. Um, not going to be doing a show tomorrow. Just want to give you guys a heads up. Doug's not going to be able to do it. I've got a bunch of stuff going on. We will be back Friday. I will. If he's not back, I will be hosting a solo show Friday where we can recap the Nets game. We can kind of look at the weekend ahead and figure out exactly what the Charlotte Hornets can do against a couple of the other opponents. So real quickly, power rankings are out from a couple of different people out there that like to talk about the NBA. Power rankings, we're going to talk about them. Great content, baby. Podcast, radio, going to talk about the power rankings. Zach Harper of The Athletic put out that the Charlotte Hornets rank 27th in his ranking, and they were previously 26th, which is interesting. And then you have Bobby Marks for ESPN put that the Charlotte Hornets are 20th. And in the week four ranking that he had, they were actually 22nd. It's funny to see Bobby Marks put them at 20th in the league. <laughs> because Bobby, we can all remember in the future rankings for ESPN, that he had them as the worst team in the NBA regarding the future ranking as far as the cap space that they're going to have, the talent that they have on the roster currently, the kind of hope that you should have in that franchise. Bobby Marks ranked the Hornets dead last. And now the Hornets are 20th, at least in this power rankings. And it's largely due to the young talent and what they're doing. Nick Batum does... I, we, I like Nick Batum in the starting lineup because he facilitates. We've talked about this. He can just, you know, he allows the other younger guys to shoot shots rather than Dwayne Bacon eating up all the shots and probably making the team worse and the younger guys worse. At least Nick Batum makes them better than what Dwayne Bacon does. So fine, but it's not because of Nick uh, Batum that they're winning games, that they're actually 
six and seven or six and eight and just two games below 500. It's not because of Batum. It's not because of Marvin Williams, even though I think he's been very good for this team. It's not because Marvin Williams that they're only two games below 500. It's because of the young guys that Bobby hated on. And I'm not hating on Bobby's ranking earlier. I think the future did look pretty bleak. We didn't know about P.J. Washington at the time. We certainly did not know about Devontae Graham. Miles Bridges was someone that I think maybe exceeded expectations last season, but it's not by a lot. I mean, maybe mine. Everybody knows I did not like the draft pick, and we'll, you know, we'll see how it pans out. But I, I like Miles Bridges fine. But here he is, Bobby Marks, putting the Hornets as the 20th best team, according to his power rankings that you can find on ESPN. The reasoning Bobby puts is the Hornets' early season was salvaged by the heroics of Marvin Williams, Malik Monk, and Devontae Graham. Instead of a six-game losing streak with back-to-back -back losses to Detroit and New York, the Hornets now find themselves in the top eight of the Eastern Conference. It's just ridiculous. And just one game under 500. The win at New York saw Graham not only hit a three to win the game, but also make nine three-pointers. That's tied for most by any NBA player this season in a game. And the three games this week also saw James Borrego change his starting lineup, inserting Graham alongside Rozier in the backcourt. The three-game sample saw the guards average a team-high 56.3 points when on the court. I think the backcourt has been as interesting a group to talk about as any with this Hornets team. Because we know about P.J. Washington, Miles Bridges. I think Rick puts it in a good way when he asks, are they going to complement each other or is that going to be redundant? It seems like it's going to be redundant. There's still a lot of time to figure that out. And that's been an interesting conversation. But to me, it's just Devontae Graham 1 has been the best player for the Hornets this season. So automatically, the attention is drawn there. Malik Monk has figured something out here recently. Or even at the beginning of the season, I think a lot of people were ready to say, okay, I'm done. Like a lot of people were done to, ready to say they're done with Malik in the second year. A lot of deserved criticism, but he's actually figuring out some things, going to the foul line, facilitating at a really high level, making smarter plays, making having better shot selection. And then you have Terry Rozier, which it's been up and down. There's been a lot of down, but I, I think there's been some ups with Terry Rozier as well. We've talked about the pick and roll decision making. I think we found something off ball with Terry Rozier. It just seems to work better when Terry plays off ball I think he can shoot over 40 percent which again it's not that that makes it good it's just something we haven't seen from Terry before so I think Terry can shoot over 40 percent can we get a 42 percent shooting from the field from Terry off ball like I think possibly we could get that if Malik is the primary ball handler or at least setting Terry up for some shots same thing with Devontae Graham but it's been the backcourt to me that I think has been the most interesting you look at Devontae Graham, and he leads the team in points right now. He leads the team in assists currently. It's funny to see how Devontae has become Kimba Walker. And Kimba's better. I, let's not get it twisted. We all know that. But Devontae is stealing the moves of Kimba. Kimba said it himself. And Devontae, of course he has. And how good of a mentor was Kimba Walker last year? Like, that was his parting gift. We know about the memories that Kimba gave us. We understand all of the nostalgia that we experience when we think back on the good old days of Kimba Walker, at least watching him play. Not a lot of team success, but it wasn't because of Kimba. We all have fond memories of Kimba. But what about the parting gift 
that Kimba gave the Hornets. It wasn't just memories. I think it was the tutelage. I think it was allowing Devontae Graham and Malik Monk and these younger guys to learn from him. It's funny to see him and those younger players gravitate towards each other the way they did. Being the Avengers, making sure that they ate dinner frequently. Those guys looked up to Kimba, and the guy that plays his same position in Devontae stole his moves. Not only did he steal a lot of the offensive moves that you see, the step back into a three-pointer, the quick decision on the pick and roll, learning how to play that aspect of basketball. But I saw a tweet from John Fokey mentioned that the Hornets have taken 16 charges this season. And that ranks third in the NBA. And who did that so many times for the Hornets the past couple of seasons? It's been Kimba. And then Devontae, we've seen do it a couple times. I mean, we're going to watch baby Kimba. We're watching baby Kimba now. Do we get a duplicate of Devontae, I think is the question. I mean, there are certainly different, there are different styles and to some degree. But I'm even asking the question right now, could Devontae even be a, a better shooting Kimba Walker? And Kimba became one of the best three-point shooters in the game. But the way Kimba is, or the way that Devontae, see, I can't even get the names right <laughs> the way that Devonte is shooting right now it's it's unbelievable and I never bought that Devonte was going to be someone that continued to shoot so poorly from outside because his college numbers just suggested that he'd be able to figure it out to some degree right I mean he was really bad last year shooting from distance but he's a rookie second round pick older player showed some promise showed some poise but the shooting just wasn't there. I thought it would come around. There's no way. There's no way that you think it's going to be this good. And sure enough, what you've seen from Devontae Graham is a good shooting percentage. Now, we've seen some bad games from him, but you look at him shooting 41.5% from three. I mean, you look at Kimball Walker's stats in the first part of his career, we know how much he struggled. Now, both of these guys were older coming into the league because Kimba stayed at UConn for quite a while. We all know that he was able to win that championship. But he comes in the league at 21, and we know about the three-point shooting percentage. It just wasn't there. It was 30% the first year, 32 the second year, 33 the third year, 30 the fourth year, and then it goes 37, his fifth year in the league at age 25. You go to Devontae Graham and what he's doing at the same point in his career Devontae Graham comes into the league at age 23. And so that is two years older than what Kimba comes into the league because Devontae, remember, Devontae was a guy that was going to go to App State but then decided to go to Kansas instead. And you had that whole Jason Capel trying to hold on to Devontae for dear life thing eventually. And correctly, it did not work out. But you look at Devontae, Devontae at age 23 shoots. 28% from three, but then boom, immediately, second year, 41%. It's incredible. It's incredible. So everybody, thank Kimball Walker. Go tweet at him. Thank him in your prayers right before you go to bed, whatever. Thank Kimball Walker for teaching Devontae Graham some of the moves and being so warm to some of those younger players on the team. And, of course, Devontae for putting in the work, not to – discredit anything because of course he put in so much work he stayed here he was a guy along with Dwayne Bacon and some of these younger guys to stay this offseason 
But it, it's just incredible to see what this team is doing right now. Of course, this is after a beatdown against the Toronto Raptors, but just kind of looking at some things. You know, I was watching a game that I recorded, just kind of looking back at what Devontae has done. It just reminds you of Kimba quite a bit. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial and choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash LockedOnNBA, all one word, no spaces, LockedOnNBA, and you can even listen on the go. If you can't visit Audible right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. Again, that's LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. I'll talk a little bit about the game tonight against the Brooklyn Nets. It's the Locked On Hornets podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. And that was also a connection of a connection because the new Carolina Panthers owner, David Tepper, looks like the guy trying to defuse the bomb at the elementary school and die hard with a vengeance, which I thought looked like John Hurd, a.k.a. Kevin McAllister's dad. A.k.a. Peter McAllister. I never would have got that. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. We've mentioned it a couple times on the podcast, and maybe we've tweeted it out a couple times, maybe either Doug or I, but it's amazing also to see how many times the Hornets have dodged the other team's best player or a very good player for the other team. Because remember, we were getting Tobias Harris beating the Hornets last year, and then, of course, he was traded to the Philadelphia 76ers. Tobias hits the game-winning shot as a member of the Clippers, and I believe that was the last shot he would ever hit for the Clippers, and then he would get traded to Philadelphia. It was LeBron James getting sat for the rest of the season after he played against the Hornets, and the Lakers ended up winning that game against Charlotte. Like It was the exact opposite. Things keep going the opposite way of what we're accustomed to as Charlotte Hornets fans. Because now we're winning close games and also we're getting some injury luck from the opposing team. Now, maybe you view it in a different way of, no, it's still the same luck because I would rather be losing games and these things are helping the Hornets win games, but it still is the exact opposite as far as exactly what happened. So look how many players that the Hornets have dodged due to injury. The Hornets didn't have to play any of the Warriors that you know. Right, They didn't have to play Steph Curry because that was the injury that he suffered already. Clay Thompson's out. D'Angelo Russell didn't play in this game, and Draymond Green did not play in that game. And Draymond's actually playing again, and they, he didn't have to play. They, they didn't have to play Draymond. So none of the four Warriors that you would actually care about, the Hornets had to play against. They also missed out on DeMontis Sabonis and Miles Turner, both of the big guys that you know would have destroyed the Hornets. I mean, we all know that's probably the biggest weakness of the Hornets right now. You know, you could go turnovers, but as far as how they match up with other teams, size kills them. They get out-rebounded constantly. My God, it was ugly to watch them get out-rebounded against the Toronto Raptors at that kind of level. So you know Sabonis and Turner would have just eaten them up on the boards. I think DeMontis Sabonis actually just posted a career high this week in rebounds. Maybe would have done it against the Hornets. But again, both of those guys didn't play. You missed out on Ben Simmons in Philly. You lost that game, and Bede still played. But still, you didn't have to account for Ben Simmons in that game. And now it's going to happen again. 
against the Brooklyn Nets tonight, the Hornets do not have to face Kyrie Irving. And a Nets team without Kyrie Irving, they've not been good this season. Now, this will be the third game that Kyrie has missed, and I guess they did win one without him, but it was against the Chicago Bulls. Hell, I guess my point is, even with Kyrie Irving, the Nets have not been good. You look at the Nets' overall record at this point in the season, the Nets are 5-8. and eight. That's one less win than the Charlotte Hornets at this point. One less game, but also one less win. Kyrie Irving is averaging 28.5 points per game, 7.2 assists per game, 5.4 rebounds per game. Only turning the ball over a couple times per contest as well. I mean, Kyrie Irving has been pretty much their entire offense. He's shooting 44% from the field. And then you look at the guys that are probably going to look to do a little bit more of the scoring because Kyrie's out. It's going to be Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert. And neither of those guys have shot the ball particularly well. Spencer Dinwiddie only shooting 41% from the field. Karis LeVert shooting about 40. So you look at what they've done three-point percentage-wise. Spencer Dinwiddie, is, he's been very cold from the outside at 30%. Karis LeVert a little bit better at 36, so probably about average. But Karis LeVert's free throw percentage isn't good. He's not going to the line all that much. Spencer does a little bit more, and he knocks him down. But we know Kyrie does a pretty good job of getting to the line. Spencer Dinwiddie actually doing a better job this season. So if you can defend Spencer Dinwiddie without fouling, I mean, he's not hitting the shots anyway. This is just another example of catching some luck and possibly winning another basketball game. want to talk about something that I saw on Twitter recycled once again that does pertain to the Charlotte Hornets that I thought might be fun to talk with you guys. So we'll talk about that in the last segment of today's show next on the Locked On Hornets podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Locked On Hornets. So if you don't believe in the moon landing, Mm -hmm. then what would you say is the greatest human achievement? I think the greatest achievement of all time, and I think it's Vince Carter doing 360s clockwise rather than counterclockwise. It's really tough. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. I saw something on Twitter this week that I'd seen a couple of times before. It's one of those questions that gets recycled every once in a while, and it's always an interesting question. I always enjoy seeing some of the responses people have to it, but I thought I'd share my opinion in the third segment because I've never shared it on the podcast before. But the question that was circulating around Twitter was, if you could go back in time and bring back a player and put him in this era Who would be appreciated more? Who would be better? Who would be more popular in this era because we'd appreciate it a little bit more based on the way that basketball is played today? And there's two guys that come to mind immediately that I think would be phenomenal basketball players that would be better in this era than the one they were in, and they're both Hornets. And yes, because I'm biased, because I'm a Hornets fan, these guys probably pop up in my mind a little bit better than maybe some other players out there in the NBA, but they're as good of answers as I can see on Twitter that people put out there. I've even seen my answers repeated a couple times. They both played for the Hornets. One guy that I go to immediately is Glenn Rice, and I think we've probably talked to – I think most people would probably think of that immediately. But I always – it's insane to see what Glenn Rice did in that three-year stretch with the Hornets. Like, it's absolutely nuts to see what he did offensively. The dude was – Crazy efficient, shooting no less than 
45, if you round up 46% from the field per game and shooting no less than 42% from three-point range. In 96 and 97, the dude shot 47% from three-point range on five and a half attempts per game. Like, what's wild about Glenn Rice is usually if you give someone an increased volume in shot attempts, right? Like, if you put more responsibility on their plate, a lot of times you'll see the efficiency go down or it'll take a dip. Glenn Rice wanted it. The numbers called for more attempts. The numbers called for more volume. If you look at what Glenn Rice was doing when he was with Miami, they were still very good numbers. I mean, he was shooting well from the field. You know, he's shooting 39% from three, 38, shot 41% his last year in Miami at the age of 27. And then he comes to Charlotte, his minutes increase, his field goal attempts, they increase not the first year, but it's the most that he's ever shot his second year with the Hornets. And the efficiency goes up, man. I thought Glenn Rice, Glenn Rice in this era would be an absolute dog. I mean, you, you could not mess with him out there on the perimeter. And so to me, Glenn Rice is like the number one answer that I think of. The one thing that Glenn Rice would sacrifice a little bit more is his perimeter defense. I mean, Glenn Rice isn't stopping a whole lot of people. <laughs> so that would be the one thing where, okay, maybe you would, and you're still taking that shot. The, the efficiency is just stupid. But then you look at Eddie Jones. And that's my other answer that I always go back to. And that is someone that wouldn't bring you the scoring that Glenn Rice was able to bring you, but it was still good. And his defense was way better. One of the better defenders in the league. Eddie Jones was one of those guys. I remember doing the all-time Hornets list a year and a half ago now. One of the things that you look at was Michael Jordan talked about how Eddie Jones going up against him, he was one of the better defenders that was out there. He also mentioned Bobby Phils, two Hornets were on that list of Michael Jordan saying, yeah, th those are a couple of the guys that were hardest to go against. But you look at Eddie Jones, three-time All-Star in his day, was a member of the All-NBA team when he was a Charlotte Hornet in 1999 and 2000. You look at him not only making the uh, All-NBA team that one year, but he was a three-time All-Defensive team member, was the Steels champ the one year that he played with the Charlotte Hornets, averaged three steals per game, the first 30 games that he played, and then the next season where he played 72 before he would eventually go on to the Miami Heat in 2000-2001, he led the league in steals, like we just talked about. Averaged 20 points a game. Now, he didn't have the same thing about the field goal percentage and the efficiency going up when he got more volume. Like, when he got more volume here with the Hornets, his numbers went down a little bit. But it was still someone that shot 37% from three for his career and defended the hell out of his position. Like those are two guys I that's I thought I'd throw that out there. Like when you have that question getting recycled on Twitter, those are the two names I always think of and I feel like they're as good of an answer as I can think of at least, right? It's Glenn Rice who just was crazy good offensively and you look at Eddie Jones who was a two-way player, you know, good scoring, a very a good scorer, but also defensively, man. I mean, would just be hell in today's game. And both of those guys, two members of the Charlotte Hornets, I think are as good of answer as any as far as who could play in this era and be more appreciated and be a little bit better. All right, thanks for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And you can follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Hornets. I'm on Twitter at Walker Mail. Doug's on Twitter at Doug Branson, LOH. Remember, no show tomorrow. Doug's not going to be in. I'm not going to be in. But we will do a show Friday. We'll recap the Nets game on Friday. And we'll go ahead and look ahead to what's going on the game Friday, as well as the other contests going on on Saturday. 